Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope. Hello again, dear ones. Thank you so much today for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We are truly honored and blessed that you're here because we've got a couple of topics coming up in the next few episodes that are really are life's changing. Uh, once again, my name is John Russin. I'm the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, up to his eyeballs in renovation of a house, aren't you, Frank? Good to be with you, though. I'm looking forward to this wonderful topic, John. There are so many lies out there, and every human being needs truth. Amen. The truths that we've been talking about, friends, uh, in this series, which we call the One Another's Life in the Body of Christ, the truths are really gut-wrenching. They're difficult, but they're definitely possible because Christ's life is in us. So without Christ's life in us, everything we've talked about for the past number of weeks is basically impossible for us. So only he can do this. This is supernatural living at its best. So we're going to begin today, my friend, with our one another number 15. And this is teach and admonish one another. And let me read the verse that gives rise to this one. This comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, Frank, before we dive into this verse, I want us to think about just the tone. That's why I read the whole verse, just the tone of it. And let me refresh your memory. Dwell in you richly in all wisdom, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. Frank, this is a positive tone. It's encouraging. It's supportive. It's enriching. It's exactly the sort of tone you need if you're going to teach or admonish someone, isn't it? Boy, John, that's an incredibly important point because, you know, we can beat people up with the truth. We can use the truth like a hammer. And I think what I would want to point out right away, John, is that this has a parallel passage, which I think really gives some insight that every one of us needs to lay hold of. And that is that this same thought process, almost word for word, is found in Ephesians chapter five. And, and I say that because, you know, it, it talks about psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But then we go into the relational aspect, husbands, wives, parents, children, masters, servants, i.e. employers, employees. But there in Ephesians five, instead of saying, let the word dwell in you richly. It says, be filled with the spirit. Yes. And so I, I really believe with all my heart, what that is saying is we have been given two very 
powerful tools to impact other people's lives. One is the written word, which is so good because it's, it's delineated, it's, it's put forth, it's, it's in writing, it's unchangeable. But the other is the Holy Spirit himself, the person of love, the person of patience, the person of mercy, kindness, and grace. And I believe, John, what the Holy Spirit was doing when he wrote this book was he was saying, we need both of those. If we just go to another person and say, boy, I'm in the spirit and I have a word for you, we can communicate to them very incorrectly in terms of uh, meanness, harshness, control, arrogance. But if we come with just the written word without the person of God, the lover, the merciful, uh, the gracious, Either one without the other, uh, we could do more damage than good. Only when we come with both the person of God flowing through us, armed with the truth of the written word, will that be accomplished? Oh, my that's friend. a mouthful. But oh, that's gosh, powerful it stuff. certainly is. But as you're talking, my mind is racing to the more times I want to count when people have come to me with their hands on their hips and the snarl on their lips and saying, John Russin, I have a word for you. And boy, mm. that's like the last thing I want to hear. What you're saying is, if we want to be effective teachers, if we want to be effective admonishers, any attitude except what we just described will not work. That's wow, right. it certainly will. Now, as we dive in, my friend, let's spend a moment and just define a few terms. Teaching as you know, is very simple. That just means imparting instruction. And there are millions of ways to do that, but it simply means to impart instruction. Admonishing is where I really want to focus today. It's translated a couple of different ways. It means to caution or to reprove someone gently, to warn them. That's a little firmer. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, Frank, it means to put in their mind. So basically to remind them of something they already know. Wow. And this last part, Frank, is what really catches me because this I think is what really fits with the overall tone of this passage, doesn't it? I really believe that, John, because you know one of the things we have to realize is that we can't change anybody. Oh and yeah. If we, oh, if we try to change someone, we're going to be frustrated and they are going to be, how do I say it, miffed, <laughs> angry, or, or feel beaten up. Um, we can only bring uh, the recipe, if I would, to them. They've got to do the baking. They've got to do the cooking. They've got to allow that truth into their heart and mind in order to affect the will. So I think the real key here is not so much what we do, though it's very important, we need to teach, but even greater, if we can say it, is the method by which we seek to do that. Oh, yes. And Frank, as I've picked apart this verse, three things have jumped out at me. I want to call them prerequisites. Being a university professor kind of guy, I like that word, prerequisites. But I want to hit on those three, and then we can kick this around a bit. It begins with the word let. 
So basically, this is a command. We got to cooperate with not only the spirit in us, but the word we know. We have to be willing. We have to be submissive to approach people, to listen to the Holy Spirit. So it comes with the first prerequisite on our side of really being cooperative with our Father. Hmm. The second prerequisite that I see in this, Frank, is that we have to give the permission for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, which means that we have to agree to let it make its home in us. Hmm. It's got to really be comfortable. Imagine this giant, comfy sofa in which you and the word of God are cuddled up just really safely in each other's arms. And finally, it's in all wisdom. So basically, this knowledge of God we have from the word and from the spirit has got to go from the inside in our brains to our outside. This knowledge has to become practice in our lives, Frank. We've got to practice godly and upright living in order for us to really be well-suited to be a teacher and an admonisher. So really, the responsibility is far more than just go ahead and teach and admonish. There's a lot of things we got to get lined up in our own lives before we're going to do this well. Well, that's a great thought, John. You know, the universal law, if people listen to the ministry of our Resolute Hope, they'll hear this often. The universal law is we can't get what we don't have. So before our ministry relationally to others is able to happen, we have to have ministry personally between us and God and the truth of his word. And, you know, it's interesting, you, you, you really emphasize that. I would say the Ephesians 5 passage does the same thing. Yes, indeed. Be, be filled with the spirit. And it's being filled in the Greek. So. Again, we're not passive in this. It's not like, Holy Spirit, take control of my life. We have to participate, but neither do we run off on our own. That's when we'll do damage. We'll be destructive instead of constructive because it'll have its source in us. So we have to let that happen. And that takes a choice of the will that comes from a desire of the heart to be a valuable asset in the kingdom of God. And that's only going to take place as we draw life from God so that we can then give life to others, his life. That's right. And so, Frank, if we're following through on what this verse doesn't suggest, it commands. It commands us first and foremost, when we relate to other people, to have a shepherd's heart, mm. to have their best. Because if we... If we approach it like we know it all and we're just correcting a pupil, a misbehaving pupil in our class, it's going to be received as criticism or judgment or condemnation. And none of those we get from our father. Mm -hmm. And so in order for us to do this, my friend, first, we've got to establish a trust factor. They got to know that we love them, mm -hmm. that we want the most constructive and redemptive an honoring thing for them. I know we've used that definition a lot through this series because that's, that's a working definition of love, but they got to know that we have their best interests at heart. So that's where all of these prerequisites for us 
in this verse really come out because mm. they got to trust this man or they are never going to listen, will they? Yeah. You know, as I was listening to you, the verse that popped in my head first at the beginning of what you were saying was that you said being a shepherd and you remember Cain when God came and said, hey, where's your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? You know, the, there's this attitude in many of us that, you know, we're not going to get involved in somebody else's life. You know, that's not my role. I'm just here slugging it out by myself. No, we are our brother's keeper. We do need to have such a love for each other that we would be willing to step into other people's lives when the spirit leads us to. But the flip side, of course, as you brought out at the end, and once again, it's, it's the method. Just like nobody is ever going to trust us with their, their wounds and their fears if, if they don't know we're going to accept them, in the same vein, they're not really going to receive our teaching and our exhortation if they don't know that our motive supremely is that we love them. That's for sure. And you know, Frank, as you're talking, my mind runs to a verse that we all know, John 3.16, we teach it to our kids, but there's a, there's a sequence in there that our father followed. Hmm. He said, for God so loved that he gave. Hmm. So the loving comes first. And then the giving, the stepping in, the action comes second, motivated by supreme love for the one you're trying to reach. Mm. Uh, but my friend, what, what struck me as, as you're talking is this is the pattern. This is what our father has now equipped us in Christ to do. But just the opposite. So often we just want to step in and correct uh, because what they're doing just bugs us. <laughs> so we, we very quickly get off target, off task of being a shepherd and just almost like shooing a fly, chasing them away mm -hmm. because they're bothering us. And boy, it's so easy to go from that shepherd mindset of John 3.16 to just get away. You're bothering me. Wow. That, yeah, that's, you know, that's what stress. So I felt encouraged, <laughs> encouraged and, 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 and just, oh yeah. Admonished by the spirit that I do the, the second more often than the first sometimes. Yeah. Oh boy. It's so easy to just admonish, you know, because they do bug you and I don't want to be bugged, but you know, John, let's take that John three sixteen just one step further. And I think this is amazing. There is John three sixteen, Then there is, 1 John 3.16, and the Holy Spirit put the same thought in both. It's amazing. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So love gives. 1 John 3.16 says, if he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for others. Whoa. So we have given, now we should lay down. In other words, we do what's best for them, not what's best for us. And I think it's just amazing that he put those in the same 316. It's almost like he's screaming at us, put these two things together or you're going to miss your role in other people's lives. Wow. 
you know, my friend, I don't even want to continue. <laughs> I just want to stop and just take that to father and say, wow, let's chew on that, sir. And uh, would you show me in my life where I have done one and where I have done the other? And sir, uh, please uh, lead me in the right path. My goodness. Well, Frank, let's change gears a bit here and talk about why we want to do all this. You know, you've raised four kids. I've raised five. And what's the first response you see when you see a, one of your children running into the street? Mm. Wow. You want to rush out there, grab them by the hand, get them out of the street. In other words, do what we need to protect them. Well, that's kind of the heart, the mindset that I see, because we as pastors and elders, when we see God's kids doing something that we know is going to get them hurt, going to get them in trouble, we want to step in and help them, grab them by the wrists, so to speak, show them where their danger is and lovingly steer them to safety. So it's really the same mindset, isn't it? Yes, John. Yeah, I, as I'm listening to you, I have two thoughts pop in my mind. One is Philippians 2, where Jesus, through Paul, says, have the same mind that I had. Don't look on your own interest, but on the interest of others. I laid down my life for others. Now you lay down your life for them. So, yeah, when we see somebody running into danger, our love for them should kick us into action. And yet the second thought I had, John, is that a lot of people I run into are perverting the grace of God into a passivity. And I want to illustrate this. I was talking with a couple and their child has gone into a, a really improper lifestyle. And I asked them point blank, have you said something to them? And this is what they said. I want the Holy Spirit to be their teacher, not me. So I'm waiting for the Spirit to say something to them. John, I hope that rattles your cage. Oh, it does. <laughs> if my child is placing themselves into a very harmful situation, I think it's my role, if I love them, to go rattle their cage. Excuse me, what are you doing? Let me help you. You don't need to be there and do what you do. For us to sit and wait for the Spirit to do something, I think the Spirit's already told us in this verse, if you love them, go after them, but make sure it's in the right spirit. I really question that methodology, and I'm yes. afraid many people are buying into it. Yeah, it's a passivity. And, you know, as we've gone through now, this is our 15th one another, Frank. Every single one of these has been imperative. It's been a command. Basically, Frank, it's our job. Mm. It's our responsibility to step into another person's life when the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. Right. Uh, to step in and do what we can to warn them, to caution them. And in many cases, to remind them, hey, this is not who you are. This is a choice you're making that's inconsistent with Christ's life in you. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you choosing this? And that tone I just said, Frank, is exactly opposite of how many times people approach this, especially the circumstances you just described. 
the flesh wants us to step in and control them by humiliating, shaming, guilting. How about this one? Threatening to expose them. Mm. Uh, This is exactly what the spirit does not want when he calls us to, to admonish. So not only do we approach them, my friend, with love and concern and remind them of the truth, but there's a covering that we need to have here, a protection. And my mind goes to Proverbs 17. When you cover a transgression, uh, you're seeking love. Mm-hmm. But if you publicly repeat a matter, you're, you're causing division. Mm-hmm. And so not only do we want to rescue them, but while doing so, we wrap our arms around them and protect them so that while we might see their error, maybe only we alone can see it. Mm. So we can restore and protect at the same time. Does that ring true in your mind? Oh, you know, as I'm listening to you, John, instantly the story of the prodigal comes to me. Oh, yeah. You know, the boy was living with the pigs, which was, you know, anathema to the Jewish mindset. Uh, He sold himself as a slave to survive. And when he comes home, the father runs out to him. He doesn't look away in disgust. He runs, he kisses him all over the neck, embracing him. The issue with God, and it needs to be the issue with the church, is not where you've been, but that you've come home. And so the father puts the robe on him. So nobody will be able to see the the pig stains and smell him. And and he puts shoes on him. So no one will know that he had been a slave. This is the heart of God to, to protect the sinner. And if that's the heart of God, it should be our heart as well. And the other thought that came to my mind, John, listening to you is Galatians 6. When a brother or sister gets caught in a sin, and I love that, caught. Yeah, trap. trap. You got trapped. The enemy's slick. And that means he could trap every one of us. So you who are spiritual, and all that means is you're you're just somebody who's not in the trap yourself. That's right. Uh, Restore that person in a spirit of meekness so that you don't get tempted. Your temptation would be to be pride or arrogance. And that's... that's not who you are. You are the personification of Christ. He's living through you. So no haughty spirit, no arrogance, and no punitive spirit. Uh, Put the robe on that person. Put the shoes on that person so they know they are safe with you. And you can then speak that word of admonishment because they know you're going to protect them. Beautiful. that, That is so true. So friends, if you're listening here, let me repeat that verse to you because it's so important. Proverbs 17, 9. I just uh, looked it up fully while, we're, while Frank was chatting. And Proverbs 17, 9 says this, he who covers a transgression seeks love, mm. but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Wow. Mm. What a, what a, a, a thought that's so on point. Frank, do you remember several years ago, you and I and uh, Janet and Terry went to Biloxi, Mississippi to hear a Christian comedian, a young lady named Angela Johnson. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not plugging her, but she she told this joke that I think you and I laughed. I I think I still laugh at it. And she tells a story about a young girl in church 
wanting to gather her friends in a circle to pray. They're going to have a prayer circle. And so they all gather together and they start praying for another friend who happens to be named Tanya, who's pregnant. And this is what this young lady prays. This is the joke. She says, oh, dear Lord, uh, we pray for Tanya uh, and we pray, Lord, that you will show her who the father is. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and this is a joke, but you know, my friend, it just gets right to the point of what we're talking about, doesn't it? Mm, Under know. the guise of prayer, <laughs> boy, gossip and and division just sneak right in there, don't they? Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny. It's not as funny, it's sad, John, but we tend to think that part of our admonishing is to spread the word about how bad that person is. Oh yeah. And, and in a very real way to show how spiritual we are to help them, you know? And oh, if we look at what the spirit calls himself, he calls himself the comforter. And there's no comfort found for a person who gets gossiped about. And when he calls us to exhort one another, that word really is parakaleo, which is the name paraclete, which is the spirit. So it's, it's never a whisper to others, and it is never a finger in the face of the one you're exhorting. Parakaleo literally means to come alongside. Yeah. It's an arm around them. So they know they're loved. So you can speak the warning that they are headed into danger. And if we would only do that with the proper method, I think we'd able, be better able in the body of Christ to rescue people than we have been doing. Oh, yeah. I think you're right, my friend. And when we admonish with this in mind, then teaching becomes so easy because all we do is speak the truth mm. into the circumstance. Mm. But if the truth comes first, sometimes it could appear like a bludgeon mm. and uh, no one wants to be bludgeoned. Now, mm. I want to spend just a moment talking about this teaching aspect, Frank. Some people might read this verse and think, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. But this is not what this verse is talking about. Mm. You know, all Christians, as we've talked about, have the Holy Spirit. And he, and he alone, is the one who will teach us all things. And so all of us, when we're called into this circumstance and we put our arms around someone, all of us can teach because all we're doing is allowing the Holy Spirit to speak truth through us. That's all, it's so simple. It's so easy. He doesn't need our Bible knowledge. He doesn't need all the verses we've memorized. He doesn't need any training we've had. He just speaks life into a hurting person. Wow. It just changes our perspective on teaching a whole lot in this verse, doesn't it? Yeah, John, boy, that really hits on one of the burdens of my heart. I think in the body of Christ, maybe because we're in America, you know, America, we tend to put up our heroes. And plus we're sheep, you know, everybody's a sheep. So you know, sheep are not known for great courage and great ability. <laughs> and so I think, and then you got an enemy trying to slander us and beat us down. And you've got an American culture that's all built on performance and not everyone has the giftedness. And so we, we tend to look in the body of Christ and say, that's our teacher. 
you know, the guy up on the platform. And this verse is not saying preach a sermon. <laughs> oh, no. It, it's just you are a teacher. Every Christian man is a teacher. Every Christian woman is a teacher. Every high school, junior high student, an elementary school kid is a teacher of his peers if they have the truth, if they have the person of Jesus in them. John, I want to share a story that just popped in my brain. It was years ago. I don't remember the whole story, but there was this kid and he was, uh, he'd started a ministry on his high school and campus. And he was sharing Christ and he was gaining disciples and it became very impactful. And so a Christian ministry interviewed him. And this is what they asked him. What about the peer pressure you're getting as you try to bring Christ to your very secular school and to a school that's full of people who don't agree with you and ridicule you. And this young man said, oh, you don't understand. I am the peer pressure on that campus. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That young man understood that just because he's in Christ, he's a teacher. He's an influencer. He's the light of the world because the light of Jesus is in him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Frank, listen to you talk that story. Two verses pop into my mind. One is Acts chapter three. Peter and John going up to the temple. We, we all know this. They see mm. the layman at the gate. He asks for money. Peter didn't give him money. He didn't have any. He just said, I'm going to give you what I have. Mm. And so Peter didn't re rehearse his speech. He didn't memorize any verses. He didn't have the four spiritual laws book tucked away in his pocket. He didn't have evangelism explosion training, nothing. He just gave him what he had and a miracle took place. Mm. Wow. And then the other one that comes to my mind is Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says, you know, they're going to bring you before the rulers and the authorities. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you right at that moment what you're going to say. So Frank, you're right. Every one of us who has the Holy Spirit is fully equipped to deliver miracles of deliverance into people's lives. Just if we listened to the voice of the spirit and say, yes, sir, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a, what a, uh, an incredible, incredible honor. We have to do that. Yeah. As, as like you said, John, it's in us. We have the truth in us given to us by the spirit. And we have the spirit in us, the life that will communicate the truth correctly in the right method. And both of those are in us and they need to get out of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my friend, we're getting toward the end of our time, but there's one more thing I want to bring out. And that is that while we are uh, commanded by our father to be admonishers and teachers, we are also in the same sense commanded ourselves to be teachable and mm -hmm. to be admonishable, if that's even a word, when others have something that they need to share with us. I'll go back to the verse we just read, singing with grace in your hearts, plural, to the Lord. So this, Frank, this teaching and admonishing, this is a collective activity. 
This is the body ministering to itself. It applies to all of us, those who are teaching or admonishing at the moment and those who are being taught and admonished at the moment because the next day, the roles could be reversed. And this is what this looks like in the dynamics of a well-functioning body. Wow. Mm. You know, John, that is a really important point because as the scripture says, we want to point out the log in other people's eye. And we don't necessarily want to deal with the speck that's in ours. Oh, yeah. Uh, but nobody has this market cornered on our walk. And every one of us should be a student, a learner, and a receiver of others. And here's the hard thing. Even if they don't come to us with the correct spirit, what they have to say might be worth hearing. I remember reading Charles Spurgeon, and he made a statement. I don't have it verbatim, but this was the gist of the statement. He said, even the harshest critic can be a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to the man or woman who is willing to receive the truth about themselves that they themselves do not see. Mm. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to yeah. dismiss it if you come to me with your finger in my face. But the Holy Spirit says, oh, that might be something you need to hear if you'll turn it over to me. So That's right. And I will, deal, I will deal with that person's attitude. Uh, you just deal with the truth that that person delivered to you. So it makes it more painful for us. But uh, boy, it is so important. Two other thoughts come to mind, Frank, and then we'll wrap this up. I'll give it over to you for some last comments. I go back to the, uh, the definition that we gave when we began of admonishing. It means to remind someone. And you don't have to look very far in the New Testament to see things like Galatians 1. Paul wrote, as we've already said, so I say again, hmm. <laughs> Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, again, by the way, rejoice. And so reminders are critical for all of us. Hmm. And just because you've heard it doesn't mean that there won't be fruit in your life from hearing it again. Wow. Good. Work. All right, my friend, what final thoughts do you have for us today? Well, throughout this, as we dialogue today, John, the verse that just kept popping in my brain was the word from 3rd John, where God says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. The flip side of that, of course, I have no greater sorrow than to know that my children walk in lie or bondage. Oh, yes. And we know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so if we really have the heart of God being expressed through us. What grieves him will grieve us. And we will not let a wounded brother or sister, a brother or sister who's falling into sin, go without our notice and without our desire to try to do everything we can to bring them back home to him. Wow, yes. Well, friends, uh, you've been listening to Frank and me on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast, and we've been talking about the one and others, which is our take on life in the body of Christ. When you got a moment, we invite you to 
visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. And please uh, pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. Check out our books that are available either on the website or on Amazon, including Pastor Frank's latest book called Finding God of the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And of course, follow us on all of our media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And if you're listening to this podcast, you already have your favorite podcast home. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter six, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it in chapter three of his first epistle, a living hope. Frank and I call it an absolute, a resolute hope, steadfast, immovable. And this hope is a person. This hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.